This is the post-game podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you all the big match reaction with views from the press box, the dugout and the stands. Liverpool closed the gap on Premier League leaders Manchester City once again to just three points as they beat Brighton 2-0 at the Amex thanks to goals from Luis Diaz and Mohamed Salah. You're listening to the post-game podcast with Patrick Smith following a very important win on the South Coast for the Reds and we have plenty to talk about. An opponent who have often caused Jurgen Klopp's side problems in the past started well, but the Reds nicked an early lead when Luis Diaz met Joel Matip's searching ball forward and headed home brilliantly past Robert Sanchez. But it wasn't that simple. Diaz did brilliantly to get in and score where it hurt, but that phrase really came to fruition as Sanchez completely clattered Diaz by fly-kicking his chest. Amazingly, there had been no punishment for the Seagulls keeper and Stuart Atwell on VAR somehow came to a decision that it wouldn't need to be looked at further. Mohamed Salah slammed home the Reds' second goal from the penalty spot to notch his 20th goal in the Premier League alone this season, which coincidentally was also the Reds' 2000th in the competition. We've got all the reaction you need right here on the post-game podcast with Paul Gorst from the press box, Jürgen Klotz press conference from the dugout and the fan reaction from the stands. The Post Game Podcast on the Blood Red Channel. Liverpool have come to within three points of Manchester City at the top of the Premier League. Thanks of a 2-0 win here against Brighton and Hove Albion at the uh, Amex Stadium this afternoon. Goals from uh, Luis Diaz and a penalty from Mohamed Salah. Uh, either side of the break uh, were enough for the Reds. Um, it's a tough game as, as many people anticipated, uh, including Jürgen Klopp. He always speaks so highly about Graham Potter's team and how they are organised and set up. And, to be fair to the host, they put Liverpool under a bit of pressure in the first 15-20 minutes, but uh, Liverpool got the noses in front uh, through Diaz, who uh, was uh, very brave. To be fair, John Matip wrapped the pass into him, but he got there ahead of um, Robert Sanchez in a Brighton goal with a, a stooping header and was uh, taken out for his, uh, his troubles. And the physios immediately ran onto the pitch. Uh, VAR had a check of it. Uh, Mike Dean um, told that it could have been a potential red card, but uh, there was no card given to Sanchez, uh, the goal was deemed to be uh, sufficient punishment enough for Brighton and perhaps the home side got away with that one, it was a bit of a nasty collision with the uh, Colombian um, forward and to be fair to him he dusted himself down, got on with the job at hand and uh, turned into another superb performance, Jürgen Klopp has just been waxing lyrical about how, uh, how much his play uh, at Porto meant that he didn't have to do too much uh, adapting at Liverpool and he's enjoyed the sensational six weeks or so hasn't he, so he's up to two goals for Liverpool now. So after the 16 that he scored for Porto in the first half of the season, it's been a magnificent campaign for him in Portugal and uh, so far in England as well. He looks like he's going to be a top player for Liverpool for the years to come, the 35-year-old um, Colombian international. But uh, in the second half, Liverpool were given a penalty when Naby Keita's shot was handled by Yves Bissouma. Uh, Salah, whose uh, name has been the subject of much of the build-up uh, regarding this game with regards to his uh, contract situation and his uh, tweets from his agent. Uh, dusted himself down, um, stuck it away past the uh, goalkeeper and celebrated in front of the away fans just to my right there and um, it was a big moment, uh, made it 2-0 to Liverpool, took the fight out of Brighton a little bit and made sure that Liverpool were going to go home, back to Merseyside, the long journey back to Liverpool this evening with uh, maximum points. Uh, Salah was uh, brought off for uh, Diogo Jota with a slight injury, Klopp said he's spoken to Salah, he's not too concerned at this stage but uh, we shall wait and see the further updates on that one but uh, Liverpool on the pitch going great guns at the moment another win that's eight straight Premier League wins now only two goals conceded they're right on the tails of Manchester City who uh, play Crystal Palace on Monday I believe so it's uh, another day another big three points for Liverpool in this Premier League title race it's finished here at the Amex Stadium Brighton nil Liverpool two 
Post Game Podcast on the Blood Red Channel. Difficult game, good opponent. Needed a few minutes to to find into the game. From the moment on when we found into the game, we, we controlled it in a in a really good way. You can I don't think you can deny Brighton constantly uh, completely because the quality they have. But um, we did quite well and scored a wonderful goal um, in a really good situation. Um, could have scored more. One one good balls, good really real chances. From open play situation or counter-attacking um, moments or both, um, I like that a lot, and I don't expect us to be two, three nil up or whatever. At Brighton, I really respect Brighton too much. So it was fine for half time. We showed the young boys a few situations um, how we have to play, um, how we have to defend them. Um, we expect them to change. Not about player, but um, formation maybe again. That's what they usually do against us. <laughs> um, and second half started again with a situation for Brighton. Um, and but then after that we, we, we controlled it again. Scored a second goal in the last few minutes. Yeah, the chance they had were too big. Uh, Ali is a world-class goalie, but from my, from my understanding, he should not show that in each game. <laughs> should not have to show it in each game. But he showed it again. Um, that's good. That's why we have a clean sheet. I think we deserve the three points, and that's actually all what I'm interested in and um, so happy about most of the things. Once again, Luis Diaz, instrumental for you today. He's been awarded Man of the Match, and Jamie Carragher has tweeted to say his impact since January could turn this season into a really special season for Liverpool. For you as the manager working with him and seeing the way he's influencing the players around him, does it feel that he could be the difference between one trophy and two or three or four? <laughs> so he's a very good player, let me say it like this. And so, um, and. We don't have groups in our in our team, but we have is a we have a few guys who speak obviously Spanish and Portuguese, and that helps Luis a lot because um, and they take him under their wings. Very experienced players like Thiago or whatever, Fab, Bobby, they're all really close to him. Diogo, um, really close to him, and that helps. But he's in general a, a really nice kid, and um, I'm not sure exactly how Harvey, Elliot, and and um, Luis how they talk, but. Um, they are quite a lot together, <laughs> um, so that means the boy settled as quick as the player. Um, and for the player, I can just can say, when we were looking at him, it's not so easy to um, um, to bring in a player in the winter without any kind of preseason. But with Luis, it was so interesting because the way he plays is exactly uh, played at Porto is exactly the way we wanted him to play here. So he didn't have to change really. Um, still has to adapt in moments, um, especially defensively. But he has speed and is a pretty good. He can carry the ball pretty quick, and um, his dribbling is not bad. I don't think we saw already his full range of shooting skills. I saw when we scouted him a couple of really nice ones. Um, so there's a lot of space for improvement. But yes, he's a good player. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just on Lewis Diaz, Jürgen. I mean, what, what did you make of the goal and all that happened around it? I mean, bravery by by Lewis, but yeah. what, what about the, the, the goalkeeper? And I unfortunately cannot say anything about it. I saw it once.
I spoke now about that situation quite uh, uh, outside as well, so I opened that um, box again. So I didn't see it back. I don't know if it was a, a, a red card or not, but it's a good example for, I think, a very good example for we are the issues we still have. The thing is that um, great goal, top goal, and Mike Dean, how it should be on the pitch, probably it's quick, sees the goal, is not sure, maybe thinks not even about a red card, maybe because he knows there's a way outside. So the linesman, offside, no offside, no offside, goal. And now we have the problem with clear and obvious. So this phrase is, re is the real problem in these situations, because why, if every, obviously everybody who asked me today, and I was, didn't start the conversation, everybody asked me today about was the red card or not. If you know, if you get these questions, you know everybody, most of the people think it was a red card. <laughs> so anything okay, if it was a red card, and everybody thinks it was a red card. So, for what reason could it not be a red card then? So, uh, we are looking at it, and now it's only one reason for it clear and obvious. So, we have a ref who might not make a decision because he thinks there's we are. So, why should I? So, I have somebody on the screen, he can tell me how he saw it. He watched it and think, and then in his mind, is the situation, he, maybe Mike thought it's not a penalty or not a red card. So, it's not clear and obvious. You can have that view, you can see it like this. And it happens constantly. Why we have these discussions after football games still? If some if people sit there in the studio, we had a conversation with with Mike Riley a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago, with all the managers and spoke about these things. The clear and obvious is, from our point of view, a real problem. The phrase "clear and obvious" because it's wrong or right it must not be clear and obvious wrong or right. It's just wrong or right. That's enough. And um, nobody should over feel like overturning somebody if the VI is a part of the team of the refs and not somebody from outside um, who thinks he might embarrass the ref on the pitch with his decision, um, that would help as well. There's a lot to do from us today. It's not important, um, great goal, but in general, there's a lot of space for improvement, for sure. Neil? Yeah, he got blocked before the penalty already. Um, um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a shooting, in a, when, he, when he shot the ball, um, overstretched his foot slightly. Fell down a bit higher on the knee, but he is not concerned. So, um, but I'm not sure what that means exactly. Uh, obviously, we all know Mo is not really often injured. I hope it stays like this. Um, I said he, f he thinks it will be fine, but he felt something. He could see he couldn't walk properly. Yeah? Um, so we need further assessment for sure. No, 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 we would have taken him off at each result if he can. Of course, we have options. Bobby didn't even play today, so um, no, 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 it was. I saw it immediately, but then it went all pretty quick. Penalty, bam, bam, bam. Mo took it, and then after that, you could see going down, and not sure that happened before, to be honest, that he went down. Yeah. Okay, we'll take the last question with Matt Lorenzo, please. Uh, Graham Potter, widely regarded as one of the best coaches around. What's your opinion on him? It is definitely, definitely. Um, I respect a lot what Graham is doing. I really, I said already in another, another interview. I really hope that people here know what they have. Um, maybe they read the last, lost the last five games, possible. So that's Premier League. Eh? That can happen. But in these kind of things, it's very important the way you lose it. Um, and today um, they played a good game. Um, I think we were better more decisive in the right moments and uh, there are a few issues Brighton has definitely but um, the way they, he sets the team up and the way they, they, they play I couldn't respect more 
which be, be, between football people, um, Graham is um, real football people. Graham's um, uh, really high, highly regarded. Um, I like watching his team a lot. Don't like playing them too much, but um, it's oh, you're right. It's a really good one. The post game podcast on the Blood Red Channel. Hi, this is Owen from Cop On Podcast. The great teams and the great sportsmen make it look so easy, don't they? For the last 25 minutes of today's blood-warming, soul-tickling win, Liverpool looked as fit as a Stradivarius, while poor Brighton looked knackered, pooped, brow-beaten, and as drained as recently popped blisters. Perhaps mindfulness experts could use today's game as a way of clearing busy brains from unhealthy clutter by asking their clientele to watch that match back, close their eyes and take a moment to really try and identify anyone in a red shirt who didn't play superbly well. And then they just watch their clients' minds melt into nothingness. All over the pitch, there were battles to be won. The most obviously engaging were Robbo versus Lamptey and Trent versus Kukurea. Excuse me, I'm punching the lamps. I'm so excited. Um, so the most obvious battles were Robbo versus Lamptey and Trent versus Kukurea out wide. And our lads did us proud again, didn't they? But really, everyone was brilliant. Jurgen Klopp and the team, I curtsy solemnly in your general direction. What joy they give us. What excitement. Mo Salah needing to come off has got me in a bit of a tiz, though, I have to say. Let's hope it's a precaution, because to have pulled a muscle at this stage of the season could have terrible consequences for us, although those consequences may not be so bad, um, given the brilliant genius and non-stop excitement of Luis Diaz, the man of the match today, along with Joao Matip, the player of the month. And, uh, you know, just to, to finish off, I mean, the, the great writer Vivian Stanshaw once wrote, the sun chased the shadows across the room like convent girls being menaced by a tramp. We, of course, are the sunlight in that metaphor, while Manchester City, evidently, are the convent girls. This is Owen from Cop On Podcast, saying they may well be terrified now. Good victory for Liverpool, one that, when you look at it on the calendar, right in a way, obviously it wouldn't be one that stand out to you as being one of the most difficult trips away from home of the year but in a period in which Liverpool are playing a lot of games and an early kick-off on a Saturday morning after the Champions League fixture there's always a potential of a banana skin in a game which could be more difficult and obviously I felt that Liverpool did well after a, a rocky period at the start of the fixture to really come through unscathed I never felt at any point Brighton were really going to get back into the game after Liverpool scored the first goal and it ended up being a comfortable win for Liverpool. And again, the standout of the game was the performance of Luis Diaz. 
and I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, it might have been a week ago in the podcast, a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was, he looks a really special player. And the kind of player who you'd obviously see good players come into different clubs and and players of of really high levels, but he actually looks like he's got this, the, the source of ceiling where you could you could realistically see him be one of the best players in the division. He seems to have everything to his game and Luis Suarez for me has always been the most talented player, the best player who's ever played for Liverpool. I think it'd be a real push to suggest that someone could be a better player than him. I felt he was an absolute genius and obviously compounded how brilliant he was by having such a magnificent career at Barcelona. And when he played for Liverpool, he had a uniqueness to him in the way that he, he went about things. He had everything to his game. You know, If he wanted to drop short and get on the ball, he could do that. He wasn't lightning quick, but he had enough powerful running to be able to threaten him behind. If if people wanted to mix it with him, he could. It Just all elements to his game. He could score from any angle. He'd find inventive ways in which to beat his opponents with such variety. And although Diaz is a, is a different player, obviously he plays as a wide forward, I think some of them things apply to, to Diaz. There's a rawness to him in the way that Suarez, in which Suarez had when he played for Liverpool and all throughout his career, really. But also he's got some of them same traits. So when I talk about Suarez having that inventiveness, that variety to be able to be players, I see that in Diaz in the way that he travels with the ball. He's got different strings to his bow in which to, to outstrip opponents and beat them, but also quite capable in terms of dropping in, on, uh, dropping deeper on the ball, getting on the ball and playing in tighter areas as well. And another thing he's got that Suarez had the ball can be played to him at different angles, whether it be elevated at different parts or or heights. And he has that ability to contort his body and be able to use different surface areas to control the ball, even when balls are played into him that look difficult. And he's got that trait of being able to make an average ball into an advantageous one for the team and, and get them up the field of play, either by travelling with the ball or, as I say, bringing the ball out the sky. And... Yeah, I've been I've been blown away by his performances, really. I think to have come in and made that impression and shown the level of ability that he has. And even you would say, OK, he's only scored two goals so far, which is, which is a paltry amount, really, for the amount of great areas he's got into and how many, how likely he's been to, to score or create or make the final decision. I think he's got more touches in the opposition box than any player since he's came into the Premier League and that shows you that it's always a good barometer to be able to judge how efficient a player is going to be in, in determining the outcome of games. Salah, for example, is always a player who is the player with the, the highest amount of touches in the opposition area and that normally equates to his productivity, whether it be making goals, creating goals, whatever it may be. And yeah, at this moment in time, although the numbers don't tell you in terms of the actual outcome of his final decision, you just know that a player who gets in them areas so often is going to be a player who eventually is going to hit ridiculous figures or certainly some of the higher figures in the league. And I think, to be fair, again, it mid Suarez a bit when he first came to Liverpool because you knew he was a magical player by just watching him in the first couple of games. You knew he was a different player to the rest. But then I also remember that in the first couple of weeks and months, he maybe didn't get the the numbers that his performances deserved. And then all of a sudden, them numbers were able to just blow up because 
it was just a consequence of him, him being so dangerous, having so many elite traits and getting in so many good areas that eventually it was always going to tell in terms of him then being the most productive player in the, in the Premier League. And hopefully Luis Diaz can go on to that because I really believe he's got the ability to be a bit a special, pleasure, special player. And I don't like to go early on people, but I certainly would say that over the the first couple of, of weeks that he's been at the club. And of course, the game was decided with Salah's penalty. He missed other good opportunities, but again, he's the prototype of that kind of player, the most productive player in the league in, in every category. No player touches the ball more in the opposition box. No player creates more chances. No player plays more key passes. No player scores more goals and no player makes more assists. And that is the value of that player. And if he was to leave Liverpool, obviously we've talked, there's been a lot in the media this week, it's contract seem to have stalled in terms of the new deal that could be in place for them. Obviously, them numbers would be irreplaceable. I don't think you could replace them with a single individual player. I mean, the only biggest compliment I can give them to is to be able to affect all of them outcomes in the game, not just in terms of goal scoring, but all every, every other metric in the attacking third. The only player who's ever been like that is, is Messi throughout his career. And Salah has now reached that level where... He is the outstanding candidate and you take that out of your team, it's going to be a huge miss. Having said that, said, listen over a short sample size, you'd hope that Diaz could, could achieve that. And if you get both of them in the same side being able to do that, well, you'd have, <laughs> you'd have some potent attack. But in general, how you go about uh, replacing that, that sort of output, I think it'd be nigh on impossible. However, it isn't as simple as just giving a player what they want. And I know people can argue, arguably the best player in the world at this moment in time, and so therefore he should be paid the greatest amount. And I don't think you'd argue with that if if that was, and it will be, Salah's bargain and um, idea, with his, obviously his agent. And I don't think he could. You know, he's a player who, who deserves to be played the highest salary. He's the best player in the Premier League. He's possibly one of the top, or if not the best players in the currently in the world so there's no question about that but it what Liverpool have to be really careful of and I think it you know sometimes it's a case of well oh well you know you, you just give him the four hundred thousand pounds a week or whatever it is that he's, he's asking for but it, that won't be in Liverpool's thinking I mean Liverpool could probably afford to give him that but it's the knock-on effect to everything else in terms of the harmony within the squad the extra outlay that that would then entail about raising the wage wages up of the rest of the squad. And there's obviously a ceiling that they're willing to go to, and we're talking about mega money that they'll obviously be offering them as well. But the reality is, to have got to this point, and it not to be agreed, and it seems like, obviously, Liverpool have set out what they believe they're willing to go to, and Salah's agents have obviously come to a stalemate on that. It is something that you look at and think to yourself, the signs point to that deal not being agreed. That's what you would say. I mean, football... And I I hear that a long time in football, and obviously that'll be the point in which his contract will run down. Now, what does his form look like at that time? Does he carry on being the standout player in world football, or does... He regressed, does he pick up a big injury? There's all of these factors to, to factor in. And not Liverpool will obviously be looking at the fact as well that he's 30, 30 or virtually 30 years of age now, and that isn't a 25-year-old player as well. 
And I know again, there's different arguments to to for this, isn't it? But you know, you could look at him. He's an he's absolute elite athlete. Never gets injured. A fantastic professional by all accounts. You know, you look at the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, who didn't seem to lose that athletical athletic ability or sharpness into his early thirties, and you could easily argue that Liverpool could get another four years of absolute brilliance consistency and level from him but at the same time Liverpool will also have been looking at the contingency plan of who do you get to replace him what is that out there when do they then become available who are the potential options for Salah in which in which he could potentially move to because that's another big thing as well isn't it you know in terms of I, I don't think it's any doubt that the player would have been looking to go to one of the big Spanish clubs if the the marketplace would have been different if, if the Covid pandemic hadn't have hit and are Liverpool playing a bargaining game in terms of, OK, w- w- what is your next move? They know he'll want, probably want to stay in the Premier League. They probably know he wants to play for Liverpool. In different circumstances, would he want to do that? Would there have been a different idea that he had? And, and now are Liverpool looking at that and thinking, where's better to stay to here? Are they almost backing him into a corner by that? I don't know. I don't know. It's just an interesting one, isn't it? But I suppose there'll be more to speak about that <laughs> over the coming weeks. But... Um, one way or another, he needs, you know, having him in the team, make Liverpool competitive in all the trophies, and that's all that really matters at this moment in time. I think the rest will just be an interesting development over the next few months. You've been listening to the post game podcast on the Blood Red Channel.